good, so good. You know, Jess, I was thinking about that last verse of there, of how great they are. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation. You know, I think there's something that's been lost in the body of Christ these days, and that's the expectancy of Jesus' return. You think about, like, the final things that Jesus was saying. They were thinking soon and very soon. He's coming quickly. Those are, like, some of the last words of the book of Revelation. He's coming quickly. And it's easy to get complacent and wrapped up in everything that we're doing and forget that, no, Jesus is coming back. There should be an excitement in our heart for that. And when that day when he parts the clouds and the the trump goes off, man, there's going to be such a shout of joy that will rise up from the body of Christ you might as well prepare yourself for it because when the day comes it's coming out it's coming out hallelujah oh I love when we pull out some of the older hymns there you know we don't always do them but when we do man I just like want to sometimes want to pull my heart out and just like on the floor it's like ah (laughs) don't worry I'll settle down a bit actually no I won't that if you know me uh, that's not something that ever happens Oh, praise God. Well, we're going to continue on in our series this morning on the Holy Spirit. I believe this is like part number 17, week 19 or 20, something like that. We are like five months into this series, and this is the longest we've ever gone on a single series, but I believe there's just so much that's on the heart of God that he's wanting to remind his body of these days, and that is the Holy Spirit. It was so much of what you look through the book of John that Jesus spent so much time in his final days preparing his disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it was going to be a life-changing thing for them. And we're talking about people that walked physically with Jesus. And he's saying to them, it's better that I go so the Holy Spirit comes. That's just a concept that, man, we need to wrap our head around. It's better that he's gone so that the Holy Spirit can be in us and with us, working through us every day. Man, he's got so many good things for us. And uh, we are probably part four, I think, now on talking about gifts galore. We're talking about the gifts of the Spirit in which in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul starts it off by saying, of the ways that the Spirit moves, the Spirit gifts, he does not want you to be ignorant. And so the way that we combat ignorance is by education, right? You can't learn about something you never talk about, you never read about. And so much of the body of Christ is pushing these things off to the peripheral. They're putting them in the back rooms and, oh, we don't really talk about those things. And, you know, they should be talked about. They are part of the things, the package that God left for you. The Holy Spirit wants to work through you and in you. As we've been saying, he wants to bring hope, help, and healing to you and to those around you. And so through his gifts, they work different ways. He said in verse 4 that there are diversities of gifts or differences of gifts. There's divisions of gifts, but it's all the same spirit. Differences of gifts. And so the Holy Spirit isn't always going to work through you the same way he's done in the past. It says that the gifts come as he wills, or the, the little translation is as there is purpose. And I'm telling you, there's more purpose around you every day than you ever recognize. 
If you think about the life of Jesus, and Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That happened on the day that he was baptized. The Holy Spirit came down, and it stayed on him. It dwelled in him, and that's why he left and sent it back. It was in, the Holy Spirit was in him. And whenever he went out, he was always just moved with compassion, and miracles began to happen. And what we now call the gifts of the Spirit, they just flowed through him on a regular basis. And so we've been talking about that word for gifts is the word charisma, which is basically flows of grace. It comes from our word charis, which is the word grace. It's undeserved, unmerited favor. And when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, they don't become, come because you're special. They don't come because you got it all together. No, they are unmerited and undeserved. As you open your heart up, he's like, hey, there's an open heart. I'll work through them. I'll use them. And so we need to, I'm really wanting to emphasize this in this part of the series, that we need to stop looking at it as that's for the special people. Because we look to the ministers, we look to the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, and like, oh, those things flow through them. No, they flow through us. As it says, he divides to everyone, to each one, individually as he wills. To each one. So this is not something for the special people. This is something for God's special people. His ambassadors on this earth. His sons and daughters. His kings and priests on this earth. And that's what he's talked about you. So in verse 8 he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. And so that is the nine gifts of the Spirit as Paul outlined them. I don't believe that this is the totality of how the Holy Spirit works, but this is the way that Paul was divided them in order to be able to break them down to say okay this is the way that he'll do it this is the way that he'll do it but the reality is most of the times multiple gifts are flowing through each other and as we were talking about in our last two weeks on the revelation gifts words of knowledge often flow into words of wisdom because as we said words of wit knowledge have to do with the past and the present and words of wisdom have to do from taking you from the present to the future and so he will often heal you of things in order to get you on into the future so they often work together and as you have discerning of spirits that we were talking last week often words of wisdom will then come and show you how to deal with that situation so they all flow together and we said of the nine gifts we can categorize them really into three categories we have the three revelation gifts which reveal something we have the three power gifts which do something, and we have the three vocal or inspirational gifts that say something. And so as we've been dealing the last two weeks with the revelation gifts, this week I would love to go on to the three power gifts. You excited for that this morning? We're going to talk about the gifts that do something. And so that is the gift of faith, gifts of healing, and working of miracles. And so we're going to take this week and next week, and we're going to be working our way through defining them, giving examples from the Bible on them. But we might as well just start right off the bat with the gift of faith. 
Now, when it comes to the three power gifts, it's often said that the gift of faith is the highest gift out of the three of them. And I didn't say this out of the revelation gifts, but the word of wisdom would be the highest one out of them. And the reason for it is the word of wisdom deals with the future and the enemy doesn't know your future. So he can't fake it. He may have been there to witness some of your past. He may try to influence you by fear, by revealing his spirits to you, but he can't fake the word of wisdom because he doesn't know the future beyond what the word has already said that he has done. He's been dealt with. He's been defeated. Jesus said it is finished. So he can try and manipulate you to make a future come to pass, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. And when God gets involved, he knows the end from the beginning. And so the word of wisdom would be the highest gift out of the revelation gifts, but the gift of faith is the highest in the power gifts. So let's, if you're taking notes, we can define the gift of power, the uh, gift of faith this way. It is a gift of power that totally anchors the soul in God in overwhelming confidence to operate or receive gifts of healings or working of miracles. So it's a gift of power that totally anchors the soul in God, which that type of definition shouldn't surprise us because what is the definition of faith? It is a confidence. It is a persuasion. Uh, I think it's the Webster Dictionary defines faith as an unquestioning belief. And so when it comes to the gift of faith, it totally anchors your soul in God in overwhelming confidence. But when we're talking about the gift of faith, we have to realize that all faith is a gift. The ability to believe is something that has been given to you by God. And so every type of faith you can talk about in the Bible is a gift from God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And I always like to quote this verse out of the King James Version because it's the only one that renders the Greek right in it. It says, every man the measure of faith. Whereas most of the other translations render it as to give to everyone a measure of faith. So what's the difference between the and a? When it comes to the, it's a standard unit of measurement. He comes and says, I give you faith. This is the measure of faith. When you say ah, comes to you and say, I've given you ah measure of faith. And that can mean different things. It could mean that the measure that I've given you is not necessarily the same measure that I've given you. And so when we talk about ah, it can have variables in it. But he didn't say it's a measure of faith. It's not a slice off the pie. He's given you the pie, the measure of faith. And we, we have to talk about these things because we, there's language within Christianity that says, oh, that person has great faith and that's why they can do great things. I must have weak faith or little faith and therefore I go ahead in my mindset and disqualify myself. We need to get rid of self-deprecation language out of the body of Christ. He's given you the ability to believe. It's not about having great or little. It's about what are you 
going to use? What are you going to do with what he's given? In Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So when we're talking about faith, that measure that was given to you, where did it come from? It's Jesus' faith. The faith of the Son of God. It's the same quality, it's the same kind that Jesus worked here on this earth. Come on, getting a little quiet there with that. It's not your faith, it's his faith given to you. Even look at salvation. The faith you use to enter into relationship with him came from him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. He's not just talking about salvation. Grace was a gift. It's something that you did not earn and you did not merit. It was a a gift that comes to you. And then the faith that is required to grab hold of that grace was just as much a gift. It's all a gift. And that's why we don't need to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. You can do it, 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 you can do it. We've got the faith of God that's been given to us. Even when we look at Romans 10, 17, it says, Now faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word comes is in italics because it's not there in the Greek. It was added by the translators for ease of understanding. And it doesn't help here because it gives you the idea that faith is somewhere over there and it needs to come here so that then you can do something. But he already said faith has been given to you. So if you view it as somewhere over there, you'll approach it from a lack mentality. There's something that I'm missing that I'm needing. So if we take that word out, it's so then faith by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we keep it in its context, it's talking about activating what has been given to you. When you focus on the word of God, it stirs up the faith that's already on the inside of you. You know, let's think about when we were talking about praying in the spirit about a month ago. In Jude, it says, you beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. It's not praying to get the faith, it was stirring it up and bringing it into activation. And so when you pray in the Spirit and you meditate on the Word, it stirs the faith you have into getting you to get up off your butt and act. So all faith is a gift. And we need to make that differentiation because in verse 9 it says, to another faith, By the same Spirit. This is now talking about the gift of faith that comes through the Holy Spirit and not the faith that has been given to us uh, in order to believe. This is an endowment of faith from the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural gift. And as we've talked about, all nine gifts are supernatural gifts. They're not natural gifts. They are not native to you, but they are native to supernatural you who have been hidden in Christ, right? 
And so it's an endowment of faith from the Holy Spirit. And as I was preaching the, the, um, the online version a few days ago, it just came out of me by the Spirit of God that it's the Holy Spirit believing through you. It's you taking hold with him and coming into agreement you know, what does the Bible say? That if two or three agree as touching anything here on earth, it shall be done for you. What about you and the Holy Spirit coming into agreement together? And so the gift of faith is the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm getting involved. Here, my faith, my faith doesn't fail. My faith doesn't break. My faith doesn't weaken. My faith isn't based upon your mood and your willingness. It's him taking hold through you, and it comes with such an overwhelming confidence. Why? Because it's not your confidence. Yeah. It's his, and he knows that whatever he gets involved in comes to pass. And so there's no thoughts of I'm going to fail because he doesn't fail. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the faith that spoke this world into existence. It's the faith that worked through Jesus and saw the lame risen up, the blind to see, the dead raised. It is that type of faith that is going to flow through you as the gift of faith becomes involved. And so the gift of faith and the working of miracles work very closely together. So when we're talking about the gift of faith, we by nature just have to bring the working of miracles in. Again, it's hard to let, not let those lines blur a bit. Though Paul separated the nine out, they don't always just flow individually. And so let's define working of miracles then while we're at it. A miracle is a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. It is a temporary suspension of the accustomed order through the Spirit of God. So these are not things that occur naturally in nature. Raising the dead is not natural. When people die, they dead. But when the working of miracles gets involved, they get up and live. Okay. Last time you went out to the lake or were in your pool in your backyard, did you ever walk across it? Because that's not natural. But Jesus got out of the boat and walked across the water. And it wasn't just him. He said, hey, if Jesus bid me to come, and he said, come. And Peter got out of the water and walked across the water. That is not natural. So when we talk about the working of miracles, it's a temporary suspension of the accustomed order. It's things that occur in nature, he can bypass and bend the laws of nature, the laws of physics, whatever is needed. Hey, he created it all, he knows how it works, and he can say, hey, we're just going to put you to the side for a second because I need to do something. You know, think of the Old Testament when the sun stood still. That doesn't happen. The sun comes up and it goes down, but God said stop and it stopped. And so miracles are a suspension of what is natural and invasion of the supernatural into your life. And so when it comes to the gift of faith, it receives a miracle, whereas the working of miracles works a miracle. One is an active participation where you're walking out the steps with God with the gift of faith. It is a passive confidence where you're just like, man, it's going to happen and it just happens. And so one you're involved in, one you're sitting back and watching the ride go. 
And, you know, uh, both are just as supernatural as each other. So whether you're the other God gives you instructions to go do this, hey, that's just as supernatural as, as him saying, sit back and watch and enjoy. So which whenever one comes, it doesn't matter. They both end up in the position of a miracle. One receives and one works. Okay, so let's look at some examples here. As we've been doing for the last few weeks, let's start through the Old Testament and let's work our way back through, or up through. And so in Daniel chapter 6, we have a story that if you grew up in church, you've probably heard a million times, and that is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And so the story starts with some people don't like Daniel. And so they manipulate the king, who's Daniel's friend and actually likes Daniel, to pass a, a, a law saying that no one can pray to anyone but you, king, for the next certain amount of days. And Daniel hears that and he's like, no, I don't pray to the king, I pray to God. And so he goes about doing what he always does. He goes up into the, his room of his house, he opens up the windows, he kneels down and he prays to God like he would any other day. And of course they see it, they bring him before the king and the king's like, well, that wasn't my intention when I passed the law, but because of royal edict, he had to follow out what he had written. And so here we find in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, it says, So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And what I love about this story is Daniel's silence. Who is saying that God will deliver him? The king is. It's not Daniel standing up and saying, this is not going to happen, I'm coming out the other side. It's not Daniel's faith at work. It's not Daniel's actions at work. If anything, the king is believing more than him. He's much more vocal in this situation. And it says, Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lord, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And why is that verse important? He's telling you here that it was set up so that you could know if someone tampered with it. So what's about to follow is not someone getting involved naturally. This is something that's going to happen supernaturally. It was written there by the author for a purpose. So if we drop to verse 19, it says, Then the king arose very early in the morning, and he went in haste to the den of the lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, Daniel's first words in this story, O king, live forever. And he says this, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, a king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him, and he commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. Who's more active in this situation? Who's more frantic in this story? It wasn't Daniel. Daniel is an unusually quiet and passive. And I'm telling you, if someone was about to throw me into a let den of hungry lions, I'd have something to say about it. 
And even if I was in there and they closed it, I'm not laying down with the lions. I'm sitting there in the corner watching like, what if he gets hungry in the middle of the night? You know, there's none of that in this story. Throughout it, we see Daniel is at peace. He is passive, and he receives a miracle. It wasn't something that he had to work out. It's something that he got to sit back. And if we look at all like the way that they draw the pictures of Daniel, it's him using a, a lion as a pillow, you know? Because that portrays the peace we see Daniel at. And that's how the gift of faith seems to work. It, a confidence comes over you, and it's like, I don't have to worry about this. I know my God will deliver. You know, we can jump into the ministry of Jesus, and in Mark chapter 4, Verse 35, it says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Is that generally what you'll be doing in the midst of probably the greatest storm you've ever been in, in a boat? You get out on a boat and it's windy, and it's rocking that boat back and forth, and the water's sloshing over the side. It's not like they're in some covered yacht. They're in like open sides with sails, and the waters are coming up over. They're getting pelted by the waves, and Jesus is asleep. So we can see here the gift of faith is at work in him. There's a passiveness to it where he, he's asleep. It's like, I said, we're going to the other side. There's no worry. There's no fear. And they said, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing or we're about to die? And so he arose and he rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, often when we see this story portray portrayed, he gets up and he's like, peace, be still. But that's not. It's a very quiet rendering in the Greek. He le lets the peace that's on the inside of him flood out into the storm around him. And so the gift of faith had totally anchored his heart that he's sleeping. And he gets up and he said, the peace that's in me, be in this storm. And it says there was a great calm. And he turns to his disciples, he says, why are you so fearful, and how is it that you have no faith? And the little rendering of that is, how is it that you having faith use none? So in his situation, faith had anchored him. And he turned to his disciples and he said, was there no one here willing to believe? But you could say, well, that was Jesus. He was God. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. He was. But what he did here on this earth, he was fully God, yet fully man. And what he did on this earth, he did as a man. That's why the Bible keeps calling him the Son of Man. He came to be the example. And he said in John 14, verse 12, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And this is in the middle of his teaching about the Holy Spirit. What did he say would happen when he goes to his Father? He'll send the Holy Spirit to you. 
And so he, he didn't say that you'll do these great works because you're a great person. He was saying you'll do these works because the Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to flow through you. I like how uh, Greg Moorcalt says it. He says, I call it the gift that transformed Clark Kent into Superman and the normal Christian into a miracle worker. And so when it, the gift of faith comes upon you, man, you look and act and you begin to be different than just regular old you. Actually, can you give me my, my book here for a second? There's a great story in Greg's book, uh, Flowing in the Supernatural. And when he was talking about the gift of faith, he said, you know, when I was in Bible college, I would normally spend 15 to 20 minutes praying in my before going into my first class. And one morning while praying and meditating on the word before class, I felt an overwhelming sense of confidence come over me. I felt like I was invincible. All doubt, self-consciousness, and fear instantly seemed to be sucked out of my mind. And I wondered for a bit, what did I do to warrant this amazing sense of confidence and victory? All I knew was I wanted to find someone who needed a miracle or healing and watch God do the works of Jesus through me. And as I entered my first class that morning, I sat in the second row and I noticed a man sitting in front of me in his 50s who looked gray and ashen in color. And while I was thinking of asking him if I could pray for him, he stood up from his seat, he bent over, and he fell on the floor. <laughs> I didn't think twice. I leapt over the table in front of me and I laid my hands on him and I commanded resurrection life into him and death to leave. And his eyes had rolled back into his head, but as soon as I prayed for him, he came too. And someone had called 911, so as an ambulance had come, they took him away. But he was fine, awake, smiling, and giving us the thumbs up sign as he left. He reported back to us the next day that they ran tests on him at the hospital, and he had all the signs of having had a heart attack. But all his vital signs were normal, and they released him from the hospital early the next morning. And after I had prayed for him that morning, all of that overwhelming sense of confidence and invincibility left me. Superman turned back into Clark Kent, and I wondered if I had done something wrong. But what the Lord showed me was that the gift of faith came through me that day to produce a healing miracle in my fellow student. And I like that story because it really helped me sort out of some things. As I was preparing this series, I kept saying, saying to myself I was going through, and I was talking to some friends of mine, I'm like, yo, it's been great, you know, I've, I've experienced seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit, and as, I think it was two weeks ago as I was writing some things out, the Holy Spirit said, you got to stop saying that because it's not true. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, you've experienced all nine, and then he told me the time when I did, and I was like, how did I forget about that? And so it was about five and a half years ago, we, we were pregnant with our fourth child at that time. And, uh, you know, it was a really busy weekend was happening. We had a guest minister in town who was a good friend of mine. And, and Robin pulled me aside and said, I, I'm pretty sure I just miscarried. And it was kind of like all the life just got sucked out of me. And, you know, I was doing the best that I could to keep going, but it was a really disappointing time for us. 
And uh, the next day I had gone to work and I remember I was working for Pastor Robin at the time. He came to me at my desk and he said, you know, why don't you just go home and spend the day with Robin? I'm like, okay. So I got in the van and I was heading on my way home. And as I was just praying in the Holy Spirit again, I was feeling so disappointed. uh, He just said to me on the inside through a word of wisdom, when you get home, I want you to grab hands with Robin and speak life. And as those words came into me, it's like all of that disappointment, all of that discouragement was just sucked up out of the room. And it was like, man, I felt so confident. So I did that very thing. And I walked in the door and Robin starts talking to us. I said, no, right now we're going to join hands and we're going to speak life. Now in the natural mind at that point, it's done. She's already miscarried. But I just felt that's what we were to do. And so we grabbed hands, we spoke life in the name of Jesus, and such a joy just came over us as we did that. And then we prayed until I just felt like it was done. And we let go hands, and we went about our day. And it was just a few weeks later, Robin found out that she was pregnant. And she's like, well, how is that possible? I just miscarried. And so they started doing all the tests, and they were back that day, and they said, okay, we think the date of conception is this date, and that was the date that we grabbed hands and we spoke life. Now, those two things don't go together. You don't carry and get pregnant at the same time. But as we followed it out and the gift of faith took hold, we worked out the miracle that he had told us to do. And now we've got our, our crazy wild child Montgomery who is so full of life and you know, and there's so much more to that story. But as he reminded me of that, he's like, yeah, you've experienced the gift of faith. And it's exactly as it's described. It is described as an overwhelming confidence that regardless of the situation, you know you can't fail. And so if you're yourself in the, in the day, like waking up and you're just like, where did this confidence go? Say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Where should I focus this in? Because he wants to work to you and through you. And so the, the, the working of miracles and the gift of faith usually work hand in hand. The confidence and the gift that of that gift of faith comes to you and just be open. And so the working of miracles, we define it again as a super intervention in the ordinary course of nature. It is a temporary suspension of the accustomed order through the Spirit of God. So let's look at some examples of the working of miracles throughout the Bible. Now, we're not going to do the Old Testament in this one because I am guarantee you off the top of your head, you can think of crazy miracles from the Old Testament. What about the Red Sea splitting? That doesn't happen in natural. What about the Jordan River backing up 20 miles? That doesn't happen. What about them uh, stepping into the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant and it just splits and they all walk through? What about the axe head that got lost in the river and it began to float? Iron doesn't float. I'm sure you can think of all kinds of miracles against the way nature operates in the Old Testament. So let's jump right into the ministry of Jesus. And in John chapter 2, Verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not come. So Jesus is like, How is that my problem? 
And in true mother fashion, she's not even phased. I'm sure she's been sassed by Jesus before. You know, he grew up as a natural kid, right? So if you've been sassed by your children, I'm sure Jesus had more sass than this point. And he's like, woman, this ain't my problem. It's not my time. And she just looks right past him to the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it. Meaning, Jesus, I don't care if it's your time. I'm telling you it's my t- your time. Get up and do something about it. And now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. I'll have to preach this message again sometime. There's a great message that goes right along with this, that the miracles happen between the draw and the serve. They had to be willing to do what Jesus said, which was take dirty feet water jars, scoop it out, and go to the master of the feast and say, here, have a drink. (laughs) Come on, there was some faith involved in these servants. Maybe they were that scared of Mary the way that she spoke to Jesus. (laughs) Whatever he says, you do it. And they're like, yes, ma'am. Because they take these purified, these pots, and they would have been for cleaning your hands and cleaning the dirt off your feet and the dust from the dusty streets of the city. These are not clean things. But he said, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And it said, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that had been made into wine and did not know where it came from, and I love the sub note, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. (laughs) You almost think maybe they didn't like the master of the feast and like, here, drink this. (laughs) They knew where it came from. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, every man at the beginning sets out good wine, and when the guests are well drunk, then the inferior. And you've kept the good wine until now. This, This is not natural. Water pots don't turn into good wine. So this is a miracle that was worked out. The instructions were given, and as they were obedient, the miracle took place. And so when it comes to the working of miracles, it's not like the gift of faith where the gift of faith is passive. Working of miracles, you work it. He tells you what to do, and you do it. And this is where a lot of Christians fail in things is because they sit back and say, well, God, you do it. You get, I'm sure you've got it all figured out. If he's told you to do something, do it. Miracles are on the other side of the obedience. Just like the servants drew out the water and said, drink, you've got to walk out the miracle. That's why it's the working of miracles. And it says this is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here's your reminder. When the gifts of the Spirit flow, they bring glory back to God. You can always determine the source of something by where the glory goes. And so even it seems so ridiculous, it's a wedding, it's insignificant in the scheme of things, but Jesus turning the water into wine, everyone's now believing in him. And he says... These are the beginning of signs he did in Cana of Galilee, which meaning this kicked off more miracles in that region. Not just in general the start of his ministry, it started something in that city, in that area. 
as he believed and walked it out. Okay, what about stepping into the New Testament period? Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, we see the gift of faith and the working of miracles working hand in hand as they often do. And in verse 1 it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour, and a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. He said, hey, can I have some money, guys? And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter looked to him and said, look at us. You know, this man was a beggar. He was probably had his head down saying, alms, alms. And Peter, something took, came over Peter, and he says, hey, you, look at us. Give us your attention. There was something that came over Peter that gave him a boldness. Now, the, the verse before is important. It said that this man was laid there daily. Peter and John would have gone there daily to the hour of prayer. So what made this day different? The Holy Spirit grabbing hold with Peter and John. The gift of faith rising up in Peter, and he says, look at us. And it says, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And it says, and he took him by the right hand, and he immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so it's not like Peter just said, in the name of Jesus, get up. No, Peter was working this out. He said, this man is getting healed today. Look at us. I'm giving you what you need. And he grabbed him by that hand. And it says, immediately. It was as Peter stepped out in the gift that had been given and a grabbed hold, immediately God began to work with him. And so as you take hold with the gift that comes, things begin to happen. It says, so he leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Glory goes to who the gifts come from. And so on that day, it could have been like every other ordinary day. Peter said to John, let's go pray. They walk by the guy at the gate, probably the usual gate that they came from. Maybe it's the most convenient gate for them because it's in the direction of where their house is. And they walk by this man and something rises up on the inside. A confidence comes over him and miracles begin to flow. We're just talking about how the Holy Spirit works. Why? Because you need to have an expectancy rise up in you that these things are for the body of Christ today. You know, I told you the story a few weeks ago of Charles Spurgeon, who, he was a cessationist. He believed that the gifts had stopped working in our day. And that's fine, there's lots of people that believe that. But he also had another belief, that was that every Christian, their heart should be so open to the, the Holy Spirit that they're ready to say yes. And so just because his heart was open, he flows in what we would call word of knowledge, and he just called them, well, I had an inclination. He laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Why? Because he was open and gifts of healing and working of miracles went through him. 
He began to pray in the Holy Spirit. We have lots of different articles of him just being overcome and speaking out in other tongues. He used to, he wrote this one thing where he said that he's like, when I preach sometimes, there's such an, an ecstasy that comes over me where I'm so ecstatic, it's almost like I'm raptured out of my body. And if I had to choose any state to be in, I would choose that state where I am so wrapped up in God. What was happening? It was the Holy Spirit just wrapping his arms around him, the gift of faith rising up on the inside. So you don't even have to believe in the gifts. You can open your heart and he'll use you anyways. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about getting hope, help, and healing to you and through you to this dying and hurting world. Come on. Jesus is coming back. We should be his hands and feet. Why? Because the Bible said to be that. He said, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. And how can they hear unless one is sent? And so we, we need to be in expectation that, come on, we're approaching, we're approaching, we're closer now than any other generation to the return of Jesus. We should begin to act like it and say, Holy Spirit, you were sent for a reason. Let me be your hands and feet. Let me do whatever you need. I just say, yes, I'm willing. I'm open. My heart is ready to receive from you. I just thank you that the gifts, they're just natural to me because I'm in you. I'm just like Jesus. I, I've been made one with him, as you said. That Jesus prayed in the garden. He said, Lord, make them one as you and I are one. Oh, come on, church. Holy Spirit has so much that he wants to do in this time. Get your eyes off of what the world's doing. It can get dark as it wants out there, but the light shines from here out. And it says light dispels darkness. You want to change the world? Stop talking about the world. Start talking about Jesus. Get your eyes off of it and start getting them on Jesus. We go to where we, where we focus. So focus on Jesus and let the Holy Spirit flow through you. And so, Father, we just thank you for all your goodness. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to us. We thank you that just as you operated in your day, this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We will work together with you, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now, maybe you're in this place or you're watching us via the internet this morning and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. There is no other better time than right now. You might as well just go ahead and make that step. It says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm not going to pray for you. Just go ahead and say, Jesus, I bring you in. I receive you. Open your heart and do it. Man, you know, in a few minutes, uh, our word care team is going to be up at the front. And if there's anything you need prayer for, come and see them. They would love to agree with you. They would love to pray with you. Don't leave church without bringing the things before God and saying, I trust you, God. I believe you. And things are changing today. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor Robin. Well, glory. Well, I'm telling you, that stirred my faith. Amen. I'm ready to believe for anything. It's offering time. Um, you know, I just, I just love this time of the year, especially when it comes to thinking about giving and receiving, and especially the receiving part because it's a harvest time. We have a bit of a display up here, but farmers all around this area have been bringing in their crops and uh, you know, receiving from seed they have planted before. And the words, it, and it just confirms the promise that God gave us. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and winter.
winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Amen. So we're going not, to not cease giving. We're going to continue to give, and we're going to let's say this together. Well, actually, a couple ways you can give. One is uh, wordchurch.ca slash give. There's an envelope in the, the seat in front of you. If you want to fill that out and put something in it, that's fine. There's a basket at the back as you're leaving if you want to drop something in there. And uh, so we're making, trying to make it easy for you to do that. All right, so let's say this, uh, let's say this together. We sow our seed. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. And you are a blessed people. We'll see you again. <laughs>